listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick View. And before we get started, I would just like to thank everyone that has subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or other outlet over the past few weeks. And to those that have left us a review or a rating, we do greatly appreciate your comments and feedback, so please keep those coming. And we expect this to be a packed episode, so let's just jump right in. What's happening, Nick? Oh, not a whole lot. I, you know, I had a, I had a week off from the kids last week, and uh, instead of taking that week off, um, I decided to redo our kitchen floor, which I like the result, but it was definitely more than I intended. <laughs> well, I, I was following the progress on on uh, Facebook, so I thought it looked great. Yeah, it did. Um, but if you're gonna if you're gonna tear up linoleum, you're probably going to have to do a lot of work after that. Let's just put it that way. For those of you who haven't done it, but and I am definitely not a handy person. Um, I, some things I am, but I am not a precise person and uh, not good with measurements and things like saws that are electric and stuff like that. So that was all uh, <laughs> that was all new to me and. and my wife, but we got her done, and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm just happy to uh, to jump back into recording and talking fun stuff this week, talking talking bows and hunting and all kinds of stuff. Well, so. you, uh, my hats off to you. You did much better than than I did on the last uh, home improvement project Lori and I tried to do together because you know, I, I, we were we were actually painting the house and. Uh, yeah, it didn't go well. We ended up having to just part ways, and she went to work on one section of the house, and I worked on the other. So <laughs> you ingested much better. Um, but no, I haven't. I haven't been doing any home improvement. I've been um, uh, doing a little three D shooting. It's obviously a good bit warmer here than it is uh, up in up in Michigan, and uh, made some rounds um, uh, just the last few days, and and pulled some some uh, SD cards out of some cameras and. I got some got some nice targets already acquired for for this fall, so I'm I'm really excited about that as well. Awesome. But uh, all right, I I guess we'll um, uh, introduce our our guest for this uh, this episode. Joining us today is Mr. Ryan Gill. Ryan, for those of you who do not know him, is owner of Gill's Primitive Archery, where he's a, a accomplished boyer. Um, a flint napper extraordinaire, probably one of the best flint nappers uh, that I've ever had any dealings with. I've actually bought uh, points from him in the past, and one of these days I'm actually going to get around to, to getting the nerve up to get out there and, and pursue animals with a, a primitive bow and, and a, a napped head, uh, but haven't done that quite yet. Um, he's the author of two books, uh, Sticks and Stones is one, and the other one is um, Building the Snaky Osage. And he's also a regular contributor to Primitive Archery Magazine. And his latest venture uh, is a new website called Primitive Revival, which I can't wait to hear more about. Uh, so how's it going, Ryan? Uh, it's going pretty all right, I suppose. Actually, it's uh, I got three books now, believe that or not. I missed the third one somehow. Yeah, it's uh, it's called Getting It Done Primitive Style. And it's just uh, it's actually a short book. Uh, what I almost would like to call a tree stand book for those that like to read in the tree stand. It's a uh, pocket-sized, and uh, it's just a book about um, primitive hunting techniques, how to be successful hunting with uh, with uh, primitive weaponry and the techniques in order to get that done, of course. 
Well, now I've got something to, to look for and, and purchase tomorrow, so I'll, I'll be sure to do that. How's the, uh, how's the weather down in Florida? Uh, getting hot and muggy, unfortunately, which is my least favorite time of year. Um, it's still cool enough in the evenings, but it's, it's definitely you wake up in the morning and you step outside and it's hotter outside than it is, than it is inside. So uh, we're taking the swing into the dark months. <laughs> hmm. And I saw, um, I saw recently on, on Facebook, looks like you had a pretty successful turkey season. I did, yeah. And uh, normally I don't mess with them too much. I'll hunt if it's convenient. You know, typically I get one a year, but if uh, I, I just have a hard time getting excited about turkeys, uh, mostly because I've not found anything that I really enjoy hunting them with. And I know that sounds funny. Um, you know, obviously modern shotguns and whatnot are great for that. And I've done some hunting with some vintage shotguns, but, you know, you can only shoot so many. Uh, with a pump shotgun before it gets kind of boring to you and I always like to keep things exciting and if you go all the way to the primitive side hunting with a bow it goes from relatively easy to about the most difficult thing possible because obviously if I'm going to hunt with a primitive bow I want to use stone points and uh, no blinds and no modern camouflage and while that stuff works really well on other game like deer and pigs turkeys it's it's just incredibly difficult to make it work and uh, and i can go into more of that later if you want but um because that i could talk about that for probably 36 weeks at least <laughs> um but i got in with uh tennessee valley muzzleloading and got a 62 caliber which is 20 gauge uh flintlock fowler and i got that as a kit and uh the kit was definitely more involved than I expected it to be, but I really enjoy that. I love putting stuff together. I'm a builder for sure. Um, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't call myself a gun builder at this point in time, although it, it it's pretty decent and it shoots good. Uh, shoots really good actually. Um, but once I got that, it got me really excited about turkey hunting again. Uh, so that was something that I had lost over time, and now it's brought it back. And I'm I'm sad that I'm actually tagged out in Florida. We we're allowed to have. Uh, allowed to take two birds and uh and i've shot two already and uh i mean i it was it was plum exciting that's for sure man i bet we have uh our season starts up here pretty soon um but i haven't even gotten one with a pump shotgun yet so um of course i've kind of been just doing it with a bow from day one you're right it's it's super super difficult especially i like to like you were saying i like to do it the same way i like to be on my feet and not using anything but natural cover and calling and moving and stuff like that so um stone point that's that i mean stone point and and uh primitive bows is a whole new level and i love the way your muzzle loader looks that thing that thing's really cool and i just actually watched your video just a oh, just a little bit ago and and uh i i just i love the way you built it I mean, you did it. You do everything really old school. It's like old school tools and stuff like that. And I, I just think that's just a whole other level. Not only are you hunting with this stuff, but you're building it like an old traditional way too. And yeah. that's that's really cool. And it actually that kind of that kind of segues us into our first question or my first question for you. Um, what what drew you to primitive hunting and crafting your own gear, Ryan? What what really what what made you just kind of buck all the other trends and say I'm doing it this way? Um, it was kind of a natural, 
progression um, from a child, um, from childhood experiences, I suppose. My dad, so there was never a defining moment. It was just, it was gradual. But from a, a very young age, my dad um, always thought it was really important to take me hunting and take me shooting. And he was really into bow hunting. And unfortunately, he wasn't very good at it, but, but boy, he loved it. And he loved traditional bows, uh, bear bows, actually. He has had a, a big bear bow collection. And we used to go to all kinds of primitive shoots, whatever, or sorry, not even primitive shoots, just traditional shoots and even um, modern compound shoots, and we would just shoot traditional. Um, and that was supposed to be more the fun aspect, but he always said, you know, well, you know, bow hunting's really, really tough. If you want to be serious about bow hunting, you need to shoot a compound. And, uh, you know, but for fun, you can shoot traditional. And it's not that you can't shoot um, kill game with a, a traditional bow, but, you know, he wasn't overly successful at it. And Florida's a pretty tough place to hunt. Um, but where it really started was when we went to the traditional bow hunters of Florida tournament and I was I don't know eight or nine years old and I shot in the the Cubs division you know with the little kids and, and he's like well you know don't be surprised if you know there's a lot of kids there that are better than you and you don't do well and I'm, I'm even at a young age was very competitive um, and ended up actually shooting second my first time going there um, which then got me hooked because I was like well I, I must be pretty good at this but the biggest highlight to me from that was watching the guys that were shooting the primitive class. They were walking around with these gnarly-looking primitive bows and, uh, you know, brain tan quivers and natural turkey-fletched arrows and all that kind of stuff. And it, I was just like, man, those guys are the cool guys. I want to be one of those, you know. And uh, now it's kind of a funny story. If you fast-forward a whole bunch of years, now one of my really best friends was one of those people he he's older than me uh by a, a few years but he was one of those people back then that i was looking up to and i had no idea who he was we reconnected you know 20 years later <laughs> hmm. um but yeah after watching those i was like i need to get into this and my dad always wanted to build a bow and he used to try to build them out of boards before even board bows were really even a thing it was he was just going to Home Depot and picking up like a poplar board and trying to make a bow and he would make it look like a bow right up until the like he would finish it out to where it like looks like a bow and then he would try to string it and of course it blew up every single time yeah. you never even get a string <laughs> on it I mean that's that's number one not how you build a bow and and number two you know that's that's not a good wood to choose from you know ever <laughs> and uh, so he pretty well gave up on it but he had before that had bought a stave of black locust he wanted to try and he bought it there at the traditional bow hunters of florida uh, shoot and it sat in a closet for a good several years um until i was about 13 we came back from one of the annual shoots that we would go to and i just said you know i really want to shoot it was my last year i think hard because everything kind of runs together but i think it was my last year shooting the youth division or or maybe it was getting close. No, it was, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know how all that, what those age brackets are anymore, I guess. But anyway, it was, I wanted to jump into shooting the primitive class. Um, and I was like, well, I need a primitive bow. I really want to be one of those people that shoots that. And I was like, can I work on that stave that's in the closet, you know? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. And this was over summer vacation um, or spring break, actually. I think it was actually now when I think back because it was after the spring shoot. Um, 
and he went to work and he gave me like a wood rasp and a planer that just did not plane anything. <laughs> um, so basically it was a wood rasp project and uh, just said here, you know, this, take everything off that doesn't look like a bow, you know, but don't touch anything on this backside. And so I was like, all right, you know, I'll do that. And I guess he expected, you know, and we're talking about a full stave. We're not talking about a roughed out bow. And all I've got is a wood rasp. I mean, this is what I'm armed with against essentially half of a tree. So he's thinking that he's going to come back and there's going to be some scratches on this thing and it's going to be laying in the yard and the wood rasp is going to be up under the tall grass that needs cut and that'll be the end of it. And when he came home, I had a mound of sawdust and what looked like a bow ready to be strung. And of course I didn't know where to go from there, but I was like, looks like a bow to me. So I quit. And, uh, so he came in and, and, uh, we were able to pull a string off of one of his bear bows and that was going to be close and string it. And of course we didn't know anything about tillering, you know, that was the, you know, what, what's that, you know? So we just bend this bow and stick a string on it and magically it holds together and basically the tillering that I did was just to make it look even when it was braced. You know, we never pulled it back and looked at right. it. It was just, would, however it looks good braced, that was good enough. And, uh, and it was, it probably came out to uh, about 40, 40 or 41 pounds at 28 inches. And it's, it's still alive today. It's, uh, it's hanging on my bow rack. Wow. So I go back to once every, once in a while. And, Man, you... and, uh, and your old man really threw the gauntlet down, didn't he? I mean, yeah. first, first he takes you to his shoot and he says, well, if you want to get serious about bow hunting, you're going to probably have to, uh, you're going to have to shoot a compound. And then he goes, well, don't be surprised if somebody, if everybody beats you and you don't do very well. And then, and then he wants you to will it on a bow, not expecting you to actually do it. And he gives you a log and a wood rat. And, and, right. and black yeah. locust isn't the, it's not the no. easiest wood either, because I mean, it's uh, at least everything that I've, I've never worked with. I've got a stave of black locust here that I've, I still haven't even started on, but um, it's one of those that you kind of have to keep the, the limbs kind of wide and so forth to, to carry the, the, the stress, right? Or, or, yeah. 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 And this one's actually pretty thin, but you know, it's light enough that it, it didn't seem to affect it too much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly not a good bow. Let's not, let's not, uh, <laughs> get, but it's get ahead of ourselves. It is, <laughs> it is functional. Um, but you know, he, what's kind of funny about him though, is he had a way of doing that when he would kind of challenge you and kind of tell you that you can't do something because he knows you know by god that you're gonna you're gonna do it now because mm-hmm. um, that was always my personality and he never discouraged me from doing things ever he always was but it was like little stuff like that it was like well we're gonna challenge you and and i know this it's a little bit off topic but it, it it's along the same train of thought that one time uh, he was doing some plumbing in the house and was cutting a, a piece of copper pipe and this was i was much younger i mean i was probably seven or or so and I just wanted to be just like him. And so, you know, he went off to work and I was at, you know, home from school or whatever. And there was a leftover piece of copper pipe that was outside. And I was like, I'm going to be just like dad. And I'm going to cut that pipe and I'm going to show him how awesome I am. Cause he's going to come home and he's going to see, I cut that piece of pipe. So I set that piece of pipe up and I went inside and got his really nice red handled wood saw. Oh, and I went no. out and uh and i sure enough i i cut that piece of pipe and it probably took me hours um by the time it was all said and done there wasn't much for teeth left on that saw 
and he came home and I was so proud because I had cut that piece of pipe and he just and, and he laughed and laughed and laughed and he says look at the saw there's no teeth left on it and he wasn't mad at all he was just so happy that I went out and did that he's like I you know I couldn't be mad about about that what whatsoever you know and he used to tell that story all the time when we were growing up but that's the way he was you know he would he'd have let me go through 10 wood saws if it if it kept me active in doing stuff and so that was always his thing keep me active in in building and and uh, challenging myself and of course i've i've certainly kept that up uh, throughout the years yeah i would say i would i would say you have i mean you and jumped right into to hunting with the the primitive gear too so um I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead to one of mine, Nick, if you don't mind. Um, nope, you read my mind. The uh, so you know I, I both Nick and I've have well I've been friends with you on Facebook a long time and 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 kind of followed the things that you 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 know the hunting that I've seen you do, and I know that um, I know you've taken whitetail, I know you've taken hogs, uh, obviously the the uh, turkey, um, uh, mule deer. Wolf, you know what other animals i guess two questions here you know do you do you have a count of how many animals you've taken with uh your primitive gear and are there any animals that i didn't mention there that you have successfully hunted with the primitive gear uh i did i did take the elk last year um and that was uh idaho public land five by five um and i think you covered everything else mule deer whitetail pigs turkey yeah, I think that's it, and then that elk, um, and yeah, I've got uh, 29, I think is what what I'm at right now, and that's with primitive, not including um, the flintlocks, which is a new thing. You could add a uh, another good handful of stuff in there just from this year from flintlocks, but um, just with the primitive bows and atlatls, I think we're at 29 right now. And and you pretty much that's that's where you started is with the with the primitive archery gear as far as from a from a hunting perspective or did you start out with with um firearms or something else and and move to that later oh no i, I started off with with uh, guns and even even with a compound at a at a really young age um my dad had me shooting really really young i shot my first pig when i was seven years old with a thirty thirty, and um just pretty much continued that same route and uh, hunting wasn't great in Florida so we would take some trips Montana and Pennsylvania where family was and we would do some hunts there and I I shot a pig with a bow when I was 10 with a compound bow Um, but right around age 16 uh, we were deer hunting and I couldn't get the compound draw I just you know wasn't overly smart you know how everybody way over bows themselves with a compound and you have to lean it way up in the air to pull it down mm-hmm. and and I just thought that that's how it had to be I had to shoot the heaviest thing you could possibly pull back and it cost me an opportunity on a deer which was a pretty rare thing in Florida back then at least for me I didn't have a lot of deer hunting experience in Florida and it made me hang it up for a while because I had allocated all this time into bow hunting with a compound and it, I blew the one really good chance that I had, um, which really it taught me a lot. I didn't realize it at the time, um, but I learned a lot from that. I've always looked back over that throughout the years and say, well, what could have I, what could I, I have done differently? Um, but I set everything down except for the gun for a few years, and I continued to shoot traditional and continued to shoot primitive. Um, 
that that never stopped I just didn't hunt with it and then um, after killing a bunch of stuff with a rifle I think it's age 19 I think is when I finally decided you know out of school and I was like I want to get back into bow hunting just because it's more time in the woods and the first thing I went and did was went and grabbed that compound again and I carried it one day and it was like carrying around a boat anchor <laughs> and it felt so unnatural to me and I just was I kept thinking back to that same day that I lost the opportunity on that that deer and I just thought I just don't think I can do this I think I could do better with my primitive bow with my locust bow and uh and I don't know what on earth made me think that that was the easier choice because it is definitely not um but I kept thinking, well, this is a lot lighter. I could, you know, move it easier. And then as opposed to trying to get pulled back and hold and line up sights, I could just look at where I wanted the arrow to go, pull the string back and let it go real fast, you know. Rip it, the rip shot it. Would... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in my head, it made sense. That this is the easiest way to do it. And that was it. I put the compound down and I never touched it ever. That's the end of the story for the compound. But I would. I, I go actually... go, no, go ahead, oh, Nick. Go, go, go ahead. ahead, Steve. Okay, my question was, um, well, you know, I, it kind of makes sense to me that you would go that route because, yeah, you had that issue. You knew what the issue was and why you didn't get the gear the, deer the first time. So you thought, I'm going to go on the opposite end of the spectrum. But what's what's funny to me, and I wanted to ask you this, is you were, I'm assuming, you. I mean, ever since a very young age, you were shooting the traditional bow very well. You said you were shooting primitive and traditional, and you kept doing that even though you stopped hunting. So obviously, you must have been pretty proficient with those weapons. What in your head made you think that you needed to go back to the compound in order to kill a deer effectively? Um, you know how like when you're in school and you get in a fight with a kid, and I'm talking like elementary school, you get like in an argument, and it turns into a "Well, my dad can beat up your dad" <laughs> type yep. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. In my eyes, my dad was the best hunter that walked this earth. So throughout all those years, I kept thinking, if my dad can't do it, then there's absolutely no way that, that I could do it because he's he's the one that taught me. He's ten times the hunter that I am. And so that's what kept me from thinking that I could possibly do it. Um, he didn't kill his first deer with a traditional bow until the very first year that I killed my first deer with a primitive bow. And hmm. he, he actually took that, um, as his own inspiration to, to the, the fact that I picked it up and said, I'm going to go do this. He says, well, shoot, if, if my son's going to go do this, then, then I probably should go do it too. So he probably would have never achieved that if, uh, if I didn't pick it up and say that, you know, I'm going to, take this route which was insane but i enjoyed it isn't that funny that the stuff as a parent you don't realize that even the stuff you don't do is impacting your kids i mean it's yeah. cool and it's scary <laughs> at the same time <laughs> it is like, it absolutely is <laughs> i really hope my kids aren't watching me that close but i'm sure they, they are, are. <laughs> I, I, I watch your daughters uh enough to know they're absolutely watching what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, let's get the attention off me and back on Ryan. <laughs> so uh, I was so all I was going to say just real quick, Nick, is, yeah, go ahead. is you know, it, it it hearing you hearing you actually say all those things that you were rationing rationalizing out in your mind as to why you you wanted to hunt with the primitive. 
I mean, I, I was talking to, um, uh, I guess I was talking to Tom about this a couple of weeks ago, and we were kind of going through that that same discussion a little bit, and um, that you're you're exactly right. You know, when you when you start talking about the the compound versus you know primitive bow or or long bow or recurve, um, there are advantages and disadvantages to each one of those one of those weapons, and oh, yeah. and you know, to me, that's it's a big advantage for me you know my my range is definitely shorter but the fact that i can i can acquire a target and and loose an arrow in in a matter of seconds if i want to is that's a that's a big advantage especially on something like a whitetail or or and even you know feral hogs is those things never stand still so um anyway i i just i think it's very interesting that you you picked that out at such a very you know early age and saw those as advantages when everybody else was probably um, going just the opposite, the opposite way. Right. Yeah. They look at it as a significant disadvantage, um, where there was things that, that I thought could play in my favor and I still do. And that, and that translates into actually my shooting style. Anybody that's watched me shoot thinks I, I shoot stupid. Um, and essentially I do. I mean, I, I shoot more in front of my body, like I'm shooting a shotgun. Like if you hold hold your hands up just like you're shooting a shotgun well now turn them like you're shooting a bow that's how I shoot a bow I'm not off the side of my body and because of that it gives me that ability to essentially wing shoot like I can follow deer and change directions really really fast um, because I feel like I'm uh, more in touch I guess with hand-eye coordination in that position and uh but the result of that is having a really short draw because if you imagine drawing right in front of yourself it shortens your draw significantly and so my draw is only like 22 inches and that's just what i've always considered uh primitive people's native style draw because you see a lot of that if you watch documentaries in other countries of people shooting a lot of them do shoot like that. Now there's some that do shoot off the side of their body and they pull the bow back really far, but not all of them. And uh, so I've always looked at it like form archery is typically not your native style of shooting. And of course my style of shooting lends itself well to self bows, especially when you're not very, when you like in my younger years, wasn't good at making bows. So I could make a big long bow and you could draw 22 inches on it and it wouldn't break. Right. So it kept me, encouraged you know if i broke every bow that i ever made you know i certainly wouldn't be doing what i was doing today it's just all these series of events that that make things you know play out the way that they do so are you compensating with a heavier weight bow then i'm assuming yeah yeah that was all part of the learning curve you know thinking that i was drawing much further and uh my dad for one used to say man you got a lot of arrows sticking out of the end you're not pulling it back very far and so then when it finally started not measuring how far I could pull it back, um, but started marking an arrow and then shooting it and then having somebody watch and saying, you're pulling only to here. And then, you know, guys have this this idea that, you know, in the back of their mind that their draw length somehow is a measure of their manhood. And it's like, you know, nobody wants to have the shorter draw length. And when I was finally able at that younger age, when that stuff seems important, I was able to let that go and just say, if I shoot 22 inches, then that's what I shoot. I mean, that's just is what it is. And when I was feeling like bows weren't heavy enough, they weren't shooting fast enough to shoot through animals with stone points, um, I started bumping up the weight. 
And, you know, because then I knew what the problem was. It's it's not that I wasn't shooting a heavy enough bow. I just wasn't drawing it back far enough. And it's not that I wasn't strong enough to do it, but it didn't feel natural to me. So I ended up starting to build my bows shorter and specifically for a shorter draw. Um, but then also with that, those shorter bows and that shorter draw also makes me really maneuverable. So I can shoot in some circumstances where other people can't. So that's, that's kind of a good argument for... Um, short draw and short bows is it kind of lends itself to those up close encounters where you can't get away with necessarily a big long draw right right and i definitely agree with you i think there is some of that uh that whole ego thing but i would also say that you know at least people that i've talked to in the past a lot of that um that overdraw mentality of you know 28 29 30 inches is simply trying to eke as much speed out of a, a traditional bow as they can transitioning from the compound world where, you know, everything's about speed and getting it in their head that, you know, they're only they're, they're, they're five to 10 feet per second they're going to gain. It doesn't make any difference, <laughs> but, but right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh and that's even something like that I'm doing with my bows now that I'm making. I mean, certainly the quality now has come up, a long way since those early days and almost everybody that I build bows for has a long draw and they're shooting traditional style of shooting every now and then somebody you know orders one at a low draw like me and they're like oh I should shoot just like you it's perfect you know and I'm like good I get to build kind of a bow for me and then send it to them um, every other time I'm building something long and then I have to unnaturally draw it far um, to you know to test the bow and you know shoot it through a chronograph know how it's doing um, but you, you learn a lot by doing transitioning between those two things, that short draw and the long draw, and actually short drawing and having to make my personal bows faster to make up for my lack of draw length has taught me a lot about making even the long bows even faster yet. And there's times that I really wish that I had a 28, 29-inch draw naturally um, because, man, I could be cooking, you know, 180 feet per second on a primitive bow sure um but you know i'm basically settling for 160 to 165 feet per second on shorter bows so but it's that's that's still a lot though you know (laughs) when considering a primitive bow for sure sure so is that why you're kind of transitioning so i notice you're doing more with the atlatl now and you're doing some like we said with the black powder um you just got the kit and things like that are you just kind of do you have the bow thing all figured out and now you're kind of just in your nature? Are you kind of just transitioning into other things or are you trying to broaden yourself or kind of like what's, what's your mindset going into some of these new projects that I see you're working on? I would say it's a little bit of both. I, I do know that I have a handle on the bows and arrows. I mean, you never stop learning, but your learning curve stops being quite so steep after a while. So, um, there's not a whole lot more of experimenting that a guy can do. Um, you can refine a little bit better and better, but there's not a whole lot of other directions to take it. Um, the atlatl was another challenge, and I've always lived, you know, with the idea that you have to challenge yourself and set goals. Um, otherwise, you quit. If if it stops and this may not be everybody, but it certainly is me. If I don't have anything to look forward to, 
um, or, you know, feel proud of myself for, I'll quit doing it altogether. Like people always say, oh, well, don't be a quitter. Um, but I'm exactly that. Like if I'm not good at it, then I quit it. And I think it's because I'm, I know that there's a lot of things I, I am good at. So I put all my eggs in one basket in that. Um, and then when I do that, then like, I don't know where else to go from there. So I have to pick up either a whole new hobby. So to kind of, I guess, put that in perspective a little to an event. Um, last year was my 10th year since taking my first animal with a primitive bow. Um, and actually, by the time I actually did take one, I, I got away from it back and forth, but I shot my first one at, 30, at 23 years old was when I shot my first deer with a primitive bow, and which was sounds like a long time, but it's actually about two weeks after I picked it up and said I'm actually going to huh. do it. <laughs> um, and Because uh, I know there was a big gap in there. Um, there was a lot of uh, race cars and dating and, uh, you know, all that all that stuff that you do in your youth that, that archery oftentimes takes a backseat to. Um, but anyway, so uh, my goal when I first started this was after killing my first deer um, was I wanted to kill at least one deer every year with my primitive bow. I could that, And in my mind, as long as, you know, I could kill them with, with rifles and everything else still, that didn't matter to me. I just wanted to be able to say I killed one. So if I could hunt an archery season and kill one deer, um, then I, you know, for 10 years straight, then I felt like I was really going to be doing something because that was, you know, that was a real challenge to me at that point in time. And and my dad, you know, when I told us, used to stop at his house after uh, after hunting in the evenings and he'd put on a pot of coffee and we'd you know sit and talk and then you know before I'd go home and so I came over his place one time and told him about that goal and he says well that's a that's a really tough one you know I don't I don't know you know because he was never able to do anything close to that and he says but if there's anybody that can do it I'm sure it's you so he encouraged me to do it and uh, and I did um and like I said, last year was the, I guess it wasn't this past season, but it was then the season before. That was the 10th year, and I had done it. I had killed at least one every year, and most years I killed two or three as I got better. Um, so once I eclipsed that goal of saying it's actually been 10 years and every single season I've killed at least one, um, I found myself lost, and I was like, I don't I don't really know what to do. And, and part of me was like, I don't think I could get any better you know, I could just keep killing deer, and it's not that I don't enjoy it, but maybe I won't do it so hard. I won't be so intense. Like, I'll just back off of it, and, uh, you know, maybe I'll start pursuing some other things, and I had no idea what that was going to be. Um, and then just woke up one morning and said, no, I'm not done. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to take it to another level. Let's, let's work on that atlatl. You know, let's see if I can't kill something with that. If I kill something with that, that, that would be like the ultimate, you know? And then, uh, so I started that route, picked up the atlatl, started really tinkering with that and basically engineering trial by error till I got something that I liked and that I could compare penetration wise with a bow. And that's a whole nother story. I, again, I could talk for at least 42 years on <laughs> the atlatl, and I'm not even 42 years old. And, uh, you know, I went and did that, and I'm still doing it. Now, that's like my new thing. So I'm like, well, now, now i got to kill something with an atlatl, like, every year forever. And uh, and then also the bow. But the bow is almost like I, I pretty much 
if I'm not doing it, it's because I'm not hunting with it. You know, if I'm not killing something with it, I, I feel really confident with a bow that I can get stuff shot. And uh, then the, the flintlock thing, that turned into, um, again, I mean, we're talking, we're tangent to tangent to tangent here. Um, but that's, that's like right. my new primitive revival um, productions thing. Uh, that was kind of the, the new goal as well, not just the atlatl, but but hey, let's start doing videos on this stuff. And it was for more reasons than one, but it was the the advertisement that my business would get from it, from me actually showing people. Because whenever I would shoot a deer with a bow and I would take a picture of it, put it on social media, I would always get one or two bow sales from that. So it was always really encouraging. It was an easy way to tell the wife too, hey, I need to go hunt, you know, I'd go kill a deer and, you know, I'll, I'm going to get orders from this, you know. And she was always supportive of it anyway, um, especially when she realized it was actually working and, you know, I actually made a career out of it. Um, then she was really supportive. Um, but I was like, if I could get stuff actually shot on video, which is going to be incredibly difficult, especially because almost everything I do is by myself. Like, I've never worked with a cameraman ever. You know, how do you even start with one of those, you know? And, uh, but man, the, the advertising I would get from that would be you know, huge. And then, you know, not only that, it would just, you know, it's just going to up my publicity in general. And I'm a little bit egotistical in that as in, not that I mean to be, but it's like, I've invested my entire life into this. And it's like, I want to share it with people. And I want people to recognize that I've invested myself into this. And, uh, and I want them to enjoy what I do. You know, I want them to be entertained by the things that this I'm is, uh, this doing. is fascinating to me because so most people are like, you know, they set their sights on, okay, I'm going to build a bow. I'm going to build arrows. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then they'll go, I'm going to build a primitive bow and primitive arrows. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to nap my own heads and, and all this other stuff. And, and that's going to be the, that's going to be like it for me. That's going to be the coolest thing ever. So you actually went like, you kind of did it different. Like you started off with the bow, you went well, you started off with a rifle, and you, you gave us your backstory and everything like that. And then you moved to the atlatl, and then you moved to, like, a flintlock. And then taping and adding that extra element of challenge, because taping is not easy, definitely. Like, I feel you there. So right. you you actually, it's like you've almost come full circle, where you're like, I think I'm going to build a flintlock black powder gun, and I'm going to kill something with that. And that's going to be, like, <laughs> it. And then, you know, just to paraphrase, but... I guess my question, here's my question yeah, well, on that just before you get, I know you're going to give me like a great response here, but I, I, so did that black powder kill, did that feel, you got a turkey with that, right? I, I shot a, I shot a couple pigs so far and uh, two turkeys. Okay. So at that and I've point, only, and I've only had it since February. <laughs> geez. So you're already well on your way. So I, I guess. Well, my I remember I'm, I'm used to shooting stuff with bows and oh, atlas. So you put a flintlock in my hand and it might as well be an AK 47. <laughs> well, that was my question. Like, is it comparable? Like compare that to your first buck with a primitive bow. Like, was it comparable for you or was it, or was it, I mean, because you made the flintlock, and I mean, you got to frame a shot with a flintlock, and it's not like you're just pulling the trigger and stuff's happening right away, right? Right. So, um, like, how would you rate them? How would you rate that at lateral kill with the pig you shot, or you killed with it, and all that? Like, how does that all fit together? Like, I mean, we had a question where we were going to ask you about your most memorable hunt with a primitive weapon, but it sounds like you've got some different levels of things that, like, you keep setting different goals for yourself with different weapons, so... Like, what would you rate 
is like your most memorable. Oh, the most memorable is the is the atlatl pig hunt. Um, and I'll hmm. and I'll get to that one in a second as to why, you know. But you were asking about the flintlock and coming full circle on that. And really, the flintlock to me was a way to expand my demographic. If I could get more people interested in my videos, I might be able to get them interested in archery. I might be able to get them interested in atlatl, where maybe before they weren't because they never saw it used in context. Um, and also the flintlock to me is it's a much easier thing to kill game with and it's not that like it's it's not certainly not the same as shooting a modern rifle um it still has an an element of challenge mm -hmm. to it for sure um i've always been a heck of a good gunshot not to pat myself on the back too bad but i definitely definitely have been um and so picking up a flintlock um it turned into uh, just an extension of my body at that point. And it actually was a whole lot easier for me to to do that. Now, I've done some guns in the past, some some muzzleloaders, just like put cap lock kits together. Nothing that was in, as involved as this one. This one was much more involved. But I've got a big history, if you remember me talking about race cars and stuff, you know, when I was younger. I've got a lot of metalworking history as well as the woodworking history. So I was equipped with everything I needed um, to put it together. So honestly, it didn't excite me as much as it would a normal person to do that. And actually, a lot of my friends were way more excited about it than I was. Like, I was like, oh, you know, I, I killed a pig with the flintlock. And they're like, oh, you know, that's awesome. You know, you built that gun yourself. And but in my eyes, I actually didn't. Um, it was a kit. It's like I didn't make that barrel myself. I didn't make that lock from scratch. You know, and I'm used to doing that. You know, when we're talking about primitive archery and atlatl, I'm sure. used to going in the woods and getting materials, rocks and sticks and stuff like that, and then coming home and making something and going and killing that, killing something with it. And then, now that's really intense. You know, if I didn't make everything in it, um, and pulling the trigger on a flintlock at, you know, a pig at, you know, 25 yards is significantly easier than building an atlatl and, and killing a pig at six yards with the atlatl. I mean, there's, that's, that's night and day difference. Um, but I love the flintlock. It's, it's a, it's a ton of fun. Um, and it did get me excited about the turkey hunting for sure. It like gave me, and it almost, um, it almost made it a little bit easier to where it took the, the weight off my shoulders because, um, I've got some sponsors now that help with, uh, the primitive revival productions. And obviously it helps me as well, my business, but I essentially promised everybody that I'm doing a six-week series, a six-episode series of hunts that I'm putting on. And I knew that I could use two flintlock videos, and those would be a lot easier for me to actually get the kill. Because, you, you know, we discussed how difficult it actually is to kill stuff on camera, let alone with primitive bows and arrows and even flintlocks. It's not an easy thing. But sure. that's incredibly easy compared to a bow and arrow so compare you know my first kill with a flintlock to with a bow and and it's exciting but it's not it's not the wake up in the morning and think did that really happen yesterday you know i didn't i didn't have that like i did um with the first primitive bow kill or with the atlatl kill in fact i'm still glowing over the atlatl kill which was the first one which was a year well, not even quite a year ago now um, but now to touch on that, that was, I mean, nobody does that. 
I mean, hardly anybody, you know, does mm-hmm. that kind of thing nowadays. And I mean, certainly mankind is around because of it. Um, but to create that stuff nowadays, that's that's a pretty difficult thing to do. And then most people that do it are doing it with doweled um, ash shafts and um, metal broadheads on the end and throwers that are cut out of lumber. And so they're they're kind of like a modern interpretation of an atlatl, which I was like, you know, if I'm going to do the atlatl, I'm doing like for real primitive atlatl, like a stick thrower, um, river cane, river cane shafts, um, you know, stone points. I, I don't, I don't, I would not put a steel point on an atlatl because no, at no point in history did they really have them, you know, compared to like right. bows, they've, they've evolved along where atlatls didn't, um, I'm sure in history there was metal used, you know, at the very tail end in some places, but not as a general rule. So to me, it was like, if I'm going to do the atlatl, I got to go all the way back. And nobody's done a video where you can actually see the animal get um, shot with the atlatl um, when they're using a stone point. So, and that was like my goal. I was like, I got to do this. I got to be the one that does this. And, uh, and then we went out and did it and it was almost I hunted for a while I wouldn't say it was it certainly wasn't easy but like when it finally all comes together you're just like man that was so easy you know it's like months later after all this work you know it 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 felt easy afterwards but it certainly wasn't but I'm still stoked about that you were stoked in the video too that was a trip to and in ladies and gentlemen you have to you have to watch this video this is it's a great video and and what I love about it is that you just um uh, I mean, I, I've seen your other videos and you don't really, you're not, you're not somebody who like really gets in and like celebrates or yeah. anything, but you were so excited. I mean, you threw, you threw the fist haymaker in the air and then tried to get out of the way before the pig ran you over. Cause you were like, Oh God, this thing might come back at me. <laughs> uh, but, and yeah. I just couldn't believe it's like you ambushed it. Like you heard it coming and you were standing there and I'm like, where's this thing going to come out? And it came out right in front of you, and it looks like it looks like within feet when this thing came out, and you were ready, and it's just something to see. It, it, I've never seen anything like it. I did not expect it yeah, to be mo- that. Yeah, most of the time when you Let's see that anything way. that's atlatl related, there's there's a big pile of corn somewhere, and they're waiting for them to come in. And then when they come in, by the time they've thrown, because animals get so skittish over bait, by the time the guy's thrown, the, the pigs have already scattered, and they're throwing basically into a pile of pigs hoping that it works, you know, and, and I never liked that idea of it. I always wanted to yeah. treat the atlatl just like a bow and say, at what point can I hit like a six-inch circle? And if I can't hit a six-inch circle pretty much every time, then I'm too far away, and I have to move it up. And that, of course, has put me in the eight to ten-yard range. Um, and even then, I'm still I'm still really good at it. If you haven't seen the video um, where I'm actually hitting beer cans with it, like over and over, like I'm setting them up and hitting them, um, that's a neat one to watch too. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of entertaining to see how accurate they can be. But even even in that, I still have ones that are like, how did I even hit like two feet away from where I was looking? You know, which I don't have that with a bow anymore. But I remember when I did back in my youth, like you're concentrating and then hit like a mile off. Well, I'm in that stage now with the atlatl where mostly I'm pretty good, but uh, I'm still, I still have a couple sucky moments. Well, Ryan, here and listening to, to how excited and amped up you get just talking about any of this stuff, I'm, I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to, to my next question, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. And that's, uh, you know, do you, do you ever 
self-reflect and, and question your, your dedication um, to hunting with, with the primitive gear um, and, and forcing you to, to be a better hunter because of it? I mean, do you ever sit back and question that about, you know, yeah, why am always. I making it so I hard? Mean, that's, that's, yeah, it's a constant thing for me. Um, and, uh, and I think it, it just comes right back to that challenge. I have to challenge myself. If it's not, if it's not fun, if I'm not accomplishing a new goal, I'll quit. And like my family just lives off wild game. And I mean, certainly we don't have to, um, I mean, we, we almost kind of do, and I'll tell you about that in one second, but, um, I want to provide that for our family. I grew up on wild game, um, and I want my family to as well. And I don't want it to turn into work, which is funny to say because it is work, <laughs> but it's not, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't feel like work. So I feel like I'm out playing all the time um, and then getting paid to do it, which is amazing. Um, and you can feel guilty about it real fast when you're hunting too much and you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this and it's somehow going to turn into a paycheck, but it does. Um, but yeah, if it was boring, I wouldn't want to do it. And I would feel obligated to go out with a gun or, you know, something and just to collect meat. And there's a lot of people that do that and that that's enough for them. But it just never has been for me. And so I sit back and ask myself, why the heck am I doing this? Like, for real? Like, am I nuts? Like, is there something wrong with me? And really, it's just I, I've got I've to gotta challenge myself. I can't sit still. I'm always building something, even if it's not primitive hunting related I'm always doing something on the house I'm building the porch I'm doing renovating a room I mean it's I I can't sit still I got to do something I resemble that remark so I'm the same way I'm I'm constantly doing something so so um well actually before I move on Ryan you said you made the statement that um there was a a, a, a side reason with regards to providing oh, yeah. Um, yeah, wild um, game for the family. My wife's actually survived cancer now three times, and they've got it early every time. She's not, which is we're really, really grateful of. Um, she goes in for screening because of family history, so she's not had to go through the chemo and stuff. Um, but she's, you know, had operations every time. Um, we you know, which is certainly bad enough, you know. But luckily, we've caught it early. Um, but one of the things that, when you start having it more than once, uh, they start asking you not only about family history, but about your diet, things that you can do to help prevent it. And so when the doctor found out that she eats, she, now she didn't grow up eating wild game, um, but that she does now. Um, he said that that's, you know, anything that you can get that's not processed, that doesn't have any extra hormones, anything like that put into it, um, the better it's going to be. You know, that, that cancer feeds off of those things. Sure. And so, you know, he basically said, you know, keep your husband hunting and make sure that you've always got meat because, you know, when you have store processed meat and milk and all that kind of, you know, so we'd go on the organic milk milk routine and, and all that kind of stuff. You spend the extra money to get the stuff that, you know, is treated a little bit better, you know, because her health is involved in it. And uh, so it just turned into a good opportunity, good reason and opportunity for me to hunt, which I'm not going to complain about. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it's ever since then, it's been important that I make sure that we do have wild game. I got you. Well, um, I've got, uh, so I've got a, a, a couple of questions, um, that's related to, um, one of your books and, 
and looking look, kind of looking back through them over the last uh, few days I was just kind of glancing through and I remembered one of the chapters that I, I really enjoyed uh, and it reflects so much on what um, Nick and I are really kind of trying to do with this this podcast and I think Nick said it the best on the on the very first episode that you know he's an experienced hunter not experienced which he is experienced <laughs> but what you're saying is he's out there hunting for the experiences it's it's about the memories it's about um you know what we take out of the field and it doesn't always have to be a kill and the the chapter in in your book that i'm referring to is um it's in the sticks and stones and it's it's all about having fun um and for those that haven't read this i'm gonna i'm gonna read just a short excerpt and then i'm gonna get into a, a little bit of a discussion with you about the 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 uh happenings in this chapter um so the chapter goes, or the paragraph goes, we were the only group out of 16 hunters that camped. Sure, it was a bit chilly, but otherwise beautiful. It about killed us to stay in the hotel the night before. And here we were all in our glory sitting around the campfire on a cold night. Some good belly laughs were had as we misbehaved and did some impressions. Some perhaps a bit inappropriate, but that is what camp is for, isn't it? Some of those... Stuffy sorts should have taken a lesson from us. They were so busy whining and complaining about the hunt that I'm pretty sure they forgot to have fun. And Nick and I have definitely had our share of of, uh, of experiences hunting. Nick always says every time he hunts with me, it's going to rain. But, you know, that taking the, the fun uh, or remembering the fun out of any situation, that's what it's all about. I mean, get out there and enjoy yourself. Um do you remember much about that 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 whole uh, that that hunt you were on when you wrote that, Ryan? Yeah, bits and pieces. I mean, there's there's been a lot that's happened since then, um, you know. But of course, I remember a lot uh, about each hunt, uh, especially one that was successful. That one, that one, I was successful in uh, in getting a pig. Um, but yeah, I, I'm usually not willing to do hunts that involve a lot of people. But what we decided to try to do was we wanted to set up a, a hunt for the following year where we got a bunch of like friends together to do uh, a pig hunt. And so I was going to call it the South Florida Boar Tour. <laughs> and um, we were kind of scoping out places that we might want to hunt that could essentially house that many people. You know, we wanted we wanted to make sure we had camping and you could have you know, a fire and all that kind of stuff, because as we bring a whole bunch of people in, we want to be able to enjoy that experience, because that's part of it, you know, I don't want to go to a hotel room, and then you spend hours sitting in there, either during the heat of the day, or, or at nighttime, and you lose touch with while you're, why you're there hunting, and so we went on this trip uh, to a pretty large established place and say okay well can we make this our own and, and long story short we did um, but on this trip um, we weren't hunting with anybody that we knew um, everybody that was there like I believe you said there was 17 hunters and I think that's right it's usually 16 to 18 something like that um, we were the only ones that were using anything traditional except for one other guy that was there um, and I actually talked to him for quite some many years afterwards um, just because you know you have something in common you keep up with somebody but everybody else was um, compound hunting and there's nothing wrong with that 
but it was that that mentality of everybody's in a competition who everybody wants to shoot the biggest one um it's who's wearing more expensive camouflage that all matches and everything's got to be you know just so like you see on tv um and then it's who gets the best tree stand who you know it's a huge competition and where when we showed up i just said you know i'm not i don't care about any of that stuff i'm here to have fun if people have somewhere in particular that they want to hunt they can just do it put me wherever if i'm hunting you know obviously i want to see a game i want to have a good opportunity um but just being there and enjoying the experience is the important part and just let the chips fall where they may and so before we actually went to do the hunt they drive us all around to show us the property and again this stuff's kind of foreign to me because usually i'm doing public land stuff or doing like right we show up so this is all kind of new to me and i'm just like well it's kind of a new experience but i'll sit along and enjoy it and it kind of was because they drive you around in a swamp buggy and show you all the stuff and of course you see animals and and uh as you're going along because you're sitting up real high so it's kind of neat well as we're driving around there's this one guy and i couldn't tell you his name but at like every two seconds he would stop and he had, he'd have to stop the guy driving and then like asking questions and it's not like important questions it's like really silly stuff like and it doesn't even pertain to the moment like he's just asking questions in general and it turns out to where he, he just starts being more disruptive disruptive i don't even know if i said that right <laughs> um no it came out yeah right. it just sounded wrong to me um than anything um and it, it, I think it was just he wanted the attention to be on him. And the only way he knew how was to stop the parade to make sure everybody was watching him. And so we ended up, by the time we actually got through with the whole drive and got back, we were all really late. It was getting really dark. And uh, and we all left. And one of the rules that they have at this um, place was that you're not allowed to shoot sows. You have to shoot boars. And that's so they can keep their population up. Um, right. You know, which stinks for somebody that's shooting primitive or traditional because a lot of times your opportunities have to be a lot closer. You know, where compounds, you can, you know, shoot them pretty far off. So you can be a little bit more selective. But the rules still applied to us. Um, but this guy just, he did not like the rule. And he knew it going into it. I mean, it's not a secret. They don't blindside you with that. But he still wanted to contest it the entire time. Well, what happens if we do shoot it? Basically, he's saying, I'm going to shoot one if it comes in. I'm going to shoot a sow. What happens? You know, and they're like, well, you know, you're going to get um, fined and then you have to go home. Um, you know, it's a $100 extra fine, I think it was, or 200 I don't know. And then you're not allowed to continue the hunt because like, otherwise you're allowed to take two boars. So, like, shoot, shoot a sow, you have to pay a fine and you're done, you go home. Um, so, in his eyes, he's kind of like thinking, well, that's worth it to me. I'll just shoot one, you know, doesn't want to follow the rules because, you know, that's sometimes how just people are. It's all about me, 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 me. And so, anyway, we all get back. Um, around camp I ended up shooting um, a hog that night and uh, shot it with a stone point and brought it back in so I was kind of feeling like the hero you know showing up with a whole bunch of compound guys and here I was with a, a really ugly looking stick shooting cane arrows with a stone point you know and I bring back a boar which happened to actually um, be the second biggest one um, not that that mattered to me but I just got a chuckle out of it because um, some of them were upset but here this guy that had been a problem um, he was hunting with his son and they ended up shooting a sow and which wasn't a big surprise to me at all and they said the son shot it and I'm still not sure about that I'm not 
you know, and saying, well, the excuse was, um, well, you know, and the son was 17, 18 years old. Like, he's old enough to, he can tell the difference. And, he can follow the rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was like, well, you know, my son shot it, and, you know, he thought it was, he thought it was a bore. And uh, so they're just playing it up. Well, they let him skate by on it. And so you'd think that they'd be really grateful that they let him stay and hunt, but it wasn't. He was back the next day, and then he was just complaining that they're not seeing they're not seeing any more pigs, and they're not. And here, come to find out that they're they're tramping all through their hunting area, looking around and and being silly. They they're not hunting the wind. They're just they're doing all these things. They're asking questions about, and as the guide was telling them what to do. He's doing the opposite. Like he's gonna show the guide up. Like, like he's asking, you know, well, what should we use for bait? And the guide says, don't put anything foreign on the ground at all. Let let your feeder grow off, and the pigs will come in. If there's anything weird there, there's a good chance they're gonna up and leave because they're not used to it. So the guy goes and buys um, a bunch of oranges, I think it was. Um, and I don't even know if I wrote about that. And it could have even been something else, but that's what comes in my mind. And he throws them out, and the pigs come in, realize something's odd, and then they run off. Well, then they, they blame, you know, that the guides, that, that they did it, you know, that somehow they did it wrong, you know, that the, the pigs are too spooky or something along those lines. So, so instead of enjoying a, a, a good weekend hunt with his son right, and, and having, the, having the memories and experiences, it sounds like it was pretty much just a complaint fest. And, it was. And, and no animal. Right, yeah. Well, they got the one. They got the one sow. They one sow, um, right. You know, and like I said, they should have been really grateful for that. You know, there's some people that didn't get anything on the hunt. That's how hunting goes. Um, it was not a guaranteed hunt by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but they couldn't even be happy with that. It was like complain all the way to the end. And it got, you know, and it got to where it would start sapping the fun out of it for you. You know, like you can't go there and have a good time with your buddies, Um if you know, and it was just three of us that went together, me and uh, right. my buddy Dax and his son Aiden, and it was it started to get to where it was hard for us to have fun if he was around, because he would turn everything into either a competition or a complaint fest, and you know that's what that chapter was about. Was yeah, we were doing a hunt that necessarily wasn't something that I was used to doing. I usually do a little bit more fair chase than that kind of thing. Not that that's not fair chase. I mean, it certainly was. It was just over a feeder, which isn't my wheelhouse. Uh, I like to spot and stalk. Um, and that's just because I like to be active when I hunt. Um, but we were able to make that trip fun anyway. Even if the hunting wasn't exactly like I wanted, it wasn't all about the hunt. It was the whole experience. It was being there, enjoying um, being in the woods, and the opportunity to kill something, um, you know, to take meat home with you. And then of course you're building these memories. And the only thing I could ever figure is these people, all they did was build bad memories and it could have been a great time. I mean, they got a pig and I just don't understand how you could go through and pay money and do a hunt and do nothing but make bad memories to reflect on, especially with your kid. I mean, you should be just enjoying every, every second that you get. Um, you know, and unfortunately, it's not that way for everybody, but I, I certainly think it should be. Uh, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Me too. Nick, you uh, you got uh, anything you want to wrap up with? Uh, actually, Ryan, I do have one more question for you. Um, and I noticed that you like to uh, you like to do your field dressing with primitive tools too. Um, I think that's really interesting. 
so what made you decide to do that? Uh, the field dressing with primitive tools, that's it's not something I do all the time. Um, part of, especially what I'm doing in videos. Now, the, there's a couple different, again, levels to this. Now, the very first deer that I ever killed with a stone point, I had it in my head that I had to process that with stone with a stone knife because it just it would complete that journey for me um so mm -hmm. i did that but nowadays when i do it um the way the primitive revival videos go is i like to try to keep it in context for the most part i mean there's always going to be some aspects that that aren't it's not like a true recreation um but one of the phrases that I use is um, entertain it, entertainment, education, and inspiration. Um, and it's experimental archaeology through practical application. And so I want to actually use tools um, on animals like knives um, in different forms to not only educate people as to how they do you know and then of course they find that entertaining but to almost disprove some stuff as well where a lot of folks think that a big stone knife with an antler handle is something that you're going to be using you know for skinning when it, it's actually not um a single broken flake is going to be the sharpest thing that you can get and i and i showed that in that atlatl video so after i killed the the pig with the atlatl and we you know trailed it and got it then i showed i took an obsidian just a flake and um off of a spall and used that to skin it and i mean so much more efficient than one of the pretty stone knives and i make a lot of you know stone knives to sell um and they they do serve a purpose they're great for saws and scrapers and and some cutting to a degree but those sharp flakes are actually your real primitive man's knives um and kind of like we would use like a razor knife uh today um yeah and when you're done with it and it's dull you just throw it away as opposed to a nap knife you'd resharpen um but like these single flakes, you knock them off and then you use them. And once the edge is gone, and the edges actually hold up really, really well as long as you don't hit bone. But if you ring around bone and joints and stuff and you destroy them, then you throw them on the ground and then you make a new one. So, um, you know, that's those are actually artifacts that a lot of people overlook, um, you know, when they're walking around and they actually find artifacts. They just think it's a flake, but it, in many cases they were actually used as knives because they, they used all of you know what they had it was a, a resource to them so and that well, was and that what went, I wanted not to a show. lot of waste yeah yeah and that went through that hide like butter oh I yeah mean, I, I mean it's I was shocked at how sharp that was yeah it's way sharper than a than a napped knife but you know to you can't really make and I mean you can it's a different style of point but it's not strong um, a single knocked off flake does not make a good arrow point uh, simply because they typically have a little bit of curve to them and they're very thin and so it's on impact they tend to shatter um, there are some European instances uh, where those are used and that's a little bit different technique in making them and that's not really my wheelhouse but of course that is something I'm gonna have to to touch on at some point because I think it's important um, and then there's also like the Mesolithic type stuff which is basically like a wood four shaft that has grooves cut in the side and then they line a whole bunch of these little tiny sharp flakes up on the side too so those and then you know but your normal american arrowheads that you're talking about um and atlatl heads are bifaced points 
and in order to get those sharp then um, obviously it's not a single knocked off flake which is actually the sharpest thing you can get um, but then you you can't shoot something again like I said because of the curvature to it and whatnot so you have to biface it to make the correct shape so it won't break and so it will penetrate better and then of course the sharpening process on sharpening stone points is um, a little bit involved as well um, which is something that I specialize in because I'm so adamant about doing it and doing it well and like you kind of go back a little while ago you, you said about where you know a guy might build a bow and a primitive arrow and be like stoked like this is this thing this is going to be the ultimate thing and then they do it and a lot of times they do it once and they walk away from it and they never do it again they never want to hone it they never want to perfect it where to me it's always like doing it once doesn't mean a whole lot if I can't do it like on command or every year then I don't own the skill um, and then of course when you do that you learn what works and what doesn't work and I mean I've come a long way from the points that I first started trying to shoot deer with and actually bounced stone arrowheads off of deer because they were not sharp enough to even pe penetrate the hide um, you know to the, now the ones I've gotten through it from you are, are extremely sharp and you know I'll even I'll, I'll add to what Nick was saying about the you know building a bow I've built a few self bows um, I can I can I can turn out something that is usable but then I look at stuff like you know the the, the bows that uh, that you turn out, and I can tell you I'm I'm I was really looking at the Osage Hunter um, uh, yesterday. I'm gonna end up having to reach out to you and, and get you to make one of those for me because that's just a, a beautiful bow. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, Ryan, um, I think we probably need to to kind of sort of wrap this up. Um, I'll just say you know what this has been a, a blast. It's amazing how how quickly an hour goes by. Um, and I've, I've just really, in, really enjoyed talking to you. Well, thanks. And, uh, according to my watch, I still have at least 41 more years worth of talking to you about this. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and <laughs> we're just going to have to have you on again at some point. We got more, more yeah. stuff to cover, I suspect. Yeah, I know I'm pretty chatty. I can, I can roll on and, and, and go tangent to tangent pretty, pretty fast. So <laughs> no, that's good. And I'm, I'm not kind of like Nick. I think, you know, maybe the, maybe the next time we, we, plan a little bit uh plan a little bit more and and actually have some topics that we really want to dive deep into because obviously you know you're passionate about it and i know there's people out there that would love to hear you hear you talk into uh into more detail about you know the atlatls the napping i mean there's just there's just so much of it it sounds like you've just really studied this for for quite some time yeah i mean it's uh it's surprisingly in-depth for something that we call primitive. It's actually really complex. It goes a lot deeper than than uh, a sharpened stick, you know, shot with another stick. Yep. Ryan, I, I really do appreciate it. We're going to uh, let you uh, have the rest of your, your evening back with your, your family. And uh, like Nick said, we'll, we'll definitely be uh, reaching out to you and, and, and do this again sometime in the future. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was uh, it was a good time. All right. Take care. See you, Nick. Yep, see you, Steve. Thanks, Ryan. That wraps up episode number five, but wow, was it a lot of fun talking to Ryan. If you enjoyed it as much as we did, please take the time to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We've got some great guests already lined up for future episodes, so also be sure to keep an eye on the website or on social media for updates and announcements. Until then... 
Get out there and enjoy our great outdoors. And if you can, take a kid along. Be safe, be responsible, and be sure to set a good example for your fellow outdoors men and women. So long, everyone.